family member will come over and play with them for a while, but then I feel guilty for not being a good mother and being on the floor playing with them too. It's just, you can't win. On Raising Rare, we are bringing you the story of a young father whose son has an ultra-rare disorder known as Sedegatian type spondial metaphysial dysplasia, or SSMD. My name is Kevin Fryert. Each episode, we will find out what is going on in the life of Sanath and his son, Raghav. We will talk about Raghav's growth and development, ongoing and upcoming research, and the challenges and adventures that raising a child with a nearly unknown condition brings. Come join us to hear the story unfold. Today on Raising Rare, we are finishing our discussion with Amber Freed, CEO of Milestones for Maxwell and SLC 6A1 Connect. Last time we got to know her a bit, and we talked about the shared experiences that she and Sonneth had as they fight for the lives of their kids. Today, we are going to take a look at the bold approaches they are taking to research. Let's turn to the work you are doing. We have heard about the roadmap that Sonneth built. Perhaps we could quickly remind our listeners about the roadmap. The roadmap is, is, is straightforward. We have we ask three questions: What do we know? What do we have? And what do we need? And um, you just ask the three questions repeatedly for different topics, and you eventually get a roadmap. And how is the roadmap shaping up now that last time we heard that you had started your repurposed drug, um, or Raghav had started his repurposed drug, and you've got other research efforts going on? How's the roadmap fleshing out now? The, the initial investments we made were the right investments for the next set of activities that we want to work on. And so I'm glad that we were able to get started on the mouse models and the cell models and so on, which took at least twice as long as we anticipated they would take. But nevertheless, they're on the right track and we are saving time as we are sort of building the next steps of the roadmap. So it's, um, it's fantastic. And when you say we, who's involved? Primarily me, my wife, we are the organization. Uh, and then a lot of the researchers that we are working with. Anybody in particular, or do you want to keep their names quiet? Let's keep it quiet. Okay. <laughs> so Amber, could you please tell us a little bit about what you're doing with SLC6A1? Sure. So we realized early on that one half of a very important gene in Maxwell's body wasn't working correctly. And with current technology, we could replace it outright. And this would be the closest thing to a cure Maxwell and our family would know in our lifetime. So we myopically focused on this is where we need to go. How do we get there the fast? And essentially started filling in the blanks and built a team around that scientist effort to create a gene replacement therapy. What did you, as you, as you laid out that plan of what had to happen, what were some of those things as we try to teach our listeners about what it takes to approach gene therapy? Well, it's been a really, really wild ride. And I could tell you anecdotes about me nearly smuggling mice out of China and making BuzzFeed for it. But it takes a lot of creative thinking. I think in passing, scientists will say, these are the things we ultimately need these four things and they're big holes in the program to create the gene therapy. And what I've realized is that scientists are not project managers. 
And they're also not finance people. So I've taken the four buckets that were possibly preventing a therapy from moving forward and being their quarterback start to finish. If it's not enough access to vector manufacturing, me contacting manufacturers on their behalf, getting quotes, saying what we need, coming back to the scientists and presenting the information in a very succinct way because it's in everybody's interest for that person to be in a lab doing what they're good at and me doing what I'm good at to complement their efforts. I ended up being a project manager among those scientists when I was at Pfizer. So I know exactly what you're talking about. People have their, their areas of expertise and they're, they need to focus on that. Distracting them doesn't help anybody. However, they need to be connected somehow and they need to be coordinated and they need to be sustained. You know, as you said, if they need something, they shouldn't need to be fighting to, to get what they need. But once they've expressed it, get out there and find them, you know, ve vector manufacturing or whatever it may be. So where in the process are you right now with, um, with that therapy? What would you, what would you say your, your accomplishments, what you've achieved so far and what are the next few steps? We've made a ton of progress. We have finished preclinical testing, which ultimately means we have tested the gene therapy in mice and we are happy with the results. And the next step is to move on to formal toxicology and preparing for a formal clinical trial. So actually treating kids. That was a good summary because it's, it puts it right in where you're at the, we're, we're pretty sure it's working. And now we have to make sure that it's safe to give to our kids. Um, because you, you can't do one without the other. Sonneth had mentioned that his approach was to first look for repurposing, and that was to treat some of the, the issues that come with uh, GPX for uh, misantiputation. Um, and so he's got him on a, a treatment now. Is there anything for Maxwell that you're doing that kind of slows the progress or, or protects him? Unfortunately, there's not. We were told early on that there's really not any drugs that work. And even today, we've seen more of a decline. We were at the doctor just yesterday and his blood work came back with some very worrisome biomarkers. What I think we are going to do now is focus our efforts on drug repurposing. We have the wheels in motion. The, the machine is fueling itself for gene replacement therapy, and that's a much longer time frame to get a drug to market than drug repurposing. And there's a lot of small things we can do that would probably have a, a large impact on him. So that's what I'll be spending my afternoon doing is planning those experiments. This is what I'm most frustrated about with rare disease. When, when you get a diagnosis, there should be animals that you could, essentially animal models that you could just go drop some drugs on and, and repurpose right away. Like, I just hate the fact that we have to spend years before we can get to a point of, of even thinking about repurposing. And it's, it's, it's funny because the, the, the way you would do repurposing is either doing literature search 
are by building a bunch of animal models that can that you can test some um, drugs on top of. Both of those can be done without even having a patient. You don't need to know the mutation. You just go knock off the gene in a worm, in a, in a, in a zebrafish, and uh, in a fly, and see which one of these have the best phenotypes and you know go with it. Go, go to the repurposing. And the repurposing exercise costs about $200,000 to do it on all the three animal models. And if you imagine taking, say, the top 100 diseases and then go building a repurposing experiment, that's $20 million. That's not a lot of money. That's not a lot of money. You could have treatments for 100 diseases. And pick 100 diseases out of the 7,000 rare diseases at random. I don't care. And if, I think if, if we did that, if someone did that, we would know a lot more about repurposing and we would also know if repurposing will work. I, I believe it will work for a lot of diseases, but I mean, people always come up with conflicting results. This is the most frustrating part, part for me. It, it needs to be a service that I can go buy. Well, that's a really interesting <laughs> thought because repurposing get, kind of gets this you know, uh, myth around it that, oh yeah, we'll, we'll find something that we can, we can treat with Advil, you know, it's like, no, that's not how repurposing has its most value to, to me as someone who's, who's lived this life of finding and developing drugs. Repurposing finds you a lead and you look at something and go, you know, we could make that better if we tweak this and this and test it and tweak this and this. That doesn't go anywhere against what you just said, um, which is if we had someone who went and just kind of said, yep, I'll make the big investment to take a chunk of diseases and and line up what their repurposing is. Um, I think that that would be very interesting. Now, I've been doing some work with David Fagenbaum and the folks at UPenn doing literature searches and, and looking for repurposing that's being used for COVID. I don't want to talk about COVID, but one of the article types that keeps popping up are people doing in silico. And what they're doing is looking at the chemical basis of thing and doing what you're saying, which would be way less than $20 million to get you a list of drugs that you could actually say, oh, that might work. You don't need to go through the, you know, the animal models, but still you'd need the animal model somewhere to, to get that next level of evidence. But interesting thinking. There you go, being disruptive again, Sonnet. Yeah, if someone, someone can give me $20 million and give me another 24 hours a day. So to our sponsors, you can support Sonnet and this brilliant brain. If you could sponsor us, sponsor our episodes, or make contributions to curegpx.4.org, then it would be fantastic because all he's missing right now is a little bit of funding that would get him moving. And I'm sure it's the same for Amber. Milestonesformaxwell.org. I've never done a plug like that just offhand, but I had to do it. One of the things we really like to do is, is have our listeners learn about drug discovery and development and treating rare disease and living with rare disease and all of that. So I want to give our listeners an opportunity to hear you too learning from each other. So Amber, is there a question you'd like to ask Sanath? That is such a good question. And I, I think I could go a couple ways with this. I, but one question I struggle with a lot as a community is, do you have days where you feel like 
you're not going to reach any big discoveries for your child in time to impact their health? And will you regret how hard you've worked to recreate the wheel and develop a therapy when you could have been spending time with them? Yeah, I am now. To add more color to that, when I got started, I was very optimistic about finding a treatment. And as you kind of progress, smaller tasks that are easier to do and knock off and and, and so on. And now that I'm looking at the gene therapy and, and, and some of the more longer term uh, efforts, it's starting to hit me that, you know, I might as well spend time with him, spend time with his therapies, um, help him have, um, you know, uh, more happier days and, and help him with his, you know, learning and, and reading a book or play with him than, than, you know, work all day long. And I mean, literally all day long. I don't know what to do and I don't have an answer to this problem. I, I still believe that there will be therapies, but I don't know if it'll be in time for Raghav. So in parallel, I, I spend as much time as I can with him in knowing that it's it's never sufficient. And so one of the best times that I, I spend with him is make him sleep. And, and that's that's a quiet time between me and, me and Raghav. We just don't talk. He smiles a lot. He giggles a lot for whatever joy. But that, that's the best time that I spend with him. And I really enjoy that. And I really enjoy every second of it. And I, I think that's good enough for me to go on to, to do all the other work that I have to do. But I still don't know if, I, if it'll be in time for Raghav. Oh my gosh, that made me cry. It's challenging. I'm sure, I'm sure that's the same for you too. That makes me so sad for you as a person and for a family. And I just, <laughs> even being another rare disease parent, I would do anything for this not to be happening to you. This is, this is one of the, I guess, untold things about being a rare disease parent and, and trying to find a treatment is I've, I, I, every, every day I keep thinking, you know, why, why should it be me? Why am I doing this? And then the next thought is, yeah, we don't have a choice. What else can we do better? You're absolutely right. But just the love for your son and the sincerity in your voice is just so touching. You're just one of the best human beings I will ever know. Likewise. Our listeners get a feel for that. Everyone can relate to, yeah, I've got work to do. I've got kids to see. You know, but this is just so different. The work is the kid. The time with the kid is the work. It's 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 one and the same, and and you find that balance to to enjoy those wonderful moments, and then you find that time to, you know, just dig in and and call one hundred thirty scientists. You know that you got to do them both somehow. It's, it's tough. So Sonneth, what would you like to ask Amber after she really put you on the spot there? How do you manage time? <laughs> I was just thinking this morning, I was taking a walk, trying to clear my head and, and just realized I have, I, 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 I have been progressively working, achieving less every week. And that frustrates me, but I still have to do all those meetings and the calls, and those are also important. So how do you just manage time in general? The truthful answer is I think I just do kind of a crappy job at everything because I'm never able to focus 100% of my attention on anything. And 
since Maxwell's diagnosis, I've really spent 75 hours a week on this, but it's come at an enormous personal cost and an opportunity cost. I am constantly juggling things. I take calls sitting out of their little school. I work the entire time they nap and mostly from when I put them down to bed at night until I fall asleep in my office chair. And I just do that over and over and over again. The last time I went to like a fun dinner with friends was my best friend's birthday in August, 2019. And I, I just, you wonder how long we can all go on with this level of stress and trying to juggle things and not taking time for yourself. But if I try and sleep in or go to bed early, I can just hear a clock ticking for Maxwell. And I know that there's something more I could be doing for him. I may be less efficient than I would with sleep, but there's something more I could be doing and I'm just not in a place to let go yet. Wow. Yeah. I, I always wonder how, how, how long can we all go like this, but with the level of stress that we deal with, I mean, the, the stress is in all directions, right? There's, there's the emotional stress. There's a stress that, that comes from other people that we work with that don't get things done. And then there's, there's a self-inflicted stress of, oh, oh my God, I need to do this. And if I don't do this, something in me tells me that I'm a, it's not even, it's not even being a bad parent. It's actually, it, it's more, it's more than that. It, 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 it sort of feels like you're, how, how do I put it? You, you don't have a life if you don't do that work kind of deal. It's like, I'm stopping breathing pretty much. I don't know how long we can go with the stress. I don't either. I don't either. And I think, you know, we, we cannot just draw from experience of others because I, I, how many people have done this, right? Like there's not like, you know, 1950s didn't have the technology to, to get diagnosis and to go through and get treatments like this. It's, it's a very different level of, of stress and, and activity and a problem that other folks might not have encountered. And so, yeah, we, we, we are the pioneers. What you said before is you really can't, rely on other people. So anything I say here is it pales in comparison to what you're dealing with. I think though, that there's a, an opportunity for others to understand this, not to put more stress on you guys and other, other parents who are in a similar situation, but to come up with, with ways to help you deal with the stress, you know, self-care type things. Um, respite, um, picking up some of the workload for, for you, not, not your occupational workload, but the workload of the things that you're doing, you know, for, for your sons. The problem is, and this is, this is why I can't even advise on it is that's just going to put more stress on you because it's one more part of the project plan to, to take care of. Right. And so it's, it's this never ending circle of, wait, 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 my stress reduction is such a a task now that it, it's, it's stressing me out. Um, That's precisely what's happening to me. So I, I decided to reduce stress and created a system for myself for maintaining tasks and project planning. 
And then because I'm tracking everything, I'm seeing the number of tasks that I do go down week over week. It went down from 40 to 30 to now it's like six last week. So I'm like, something is terribly broken. It's either the system is broken or am I, am I broken? That's the stress. Everything adds to stress. Everything. You hire someone to help you with the science, but they require so much oversight that then you're just managing one more person. And the thing that I would really like more time of is time with Maxwell and his twin sister, Riley. And that's the time that's most precious. And a family member will come over and play with them for a while. But then I feel guilty for not being a good mother and being on the floor playing with them too. It's just, you can't win. I think we leave that there because I don't think we're going to come up with a solution without stressing ourselves out. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a reality that people have to, to come to grips with. And I think that other rare parents who are listening to this will find some solace in the, oh, it's not just me. And which is always a good thing to, to realize that I'm not doing something wrong, but, but it's the situation, but it's just solace. It doesn't solve the stress problem. So this, this could be a, a, another big issue to, to unwind as people start looking at how do you help the rarer community? Um, so Sanath, do you have any other questions for Amber today? So I had a, I had a lot of questions written down, but, we we actually covered all of the, all of this in in in, the, in these conversations. The question that I want to ask you: what, what has been the biggest challenge, Amber, that you've you've faced and you've solved successfully? That you're proud of, I guess. The biggest challenge has actually been project management of making scientists are cats. And it takes a lot of cat herding to make everybody come together and to stress that iPhones are also useful to make phone calls and not just text or write emails. And so stressing collaboration and making all of the pieces come together, which really doesn't utilize any of my education or background. It's more just been the passion to move things forward has been the greatest value I've brought. And that's the lesson that I've learned from, from talking to you in the past is project management. And I embrace everybody that I work with as my own team. And I, I believe and, and hope that they can exhibit the, the level of professionalism and accountability that I would expect from a company if I start one or if I, if I work for one, right? And uh, I think at some point, at some levels, it's even harder to run a distributed team of people that you've not met before that don't work for you. You don't pay them, but they are incredibly important, more important than my parents in my life because they are going to find a treatment for my son. That's right. And it's a heavy responsibility and a lot of confidence to put in a person. I almost feel guilty saying that because of the gravity, but it's unfortunately the truth. This isn't a nine to five clock in, clock out job. It's an emotionally charged, high risk, high reward. Amber, do you have any last question for Sanath? And then do you have a last word for our listeners? 
I just have last minute accolades for Sonas. What everything he's done is incredible. His commitment as a parent is just touches everybody's heart that he ever meets. And he's also brilliant. And I just have the utmost respect for him and to any rare disease parents or listeners out there. Thank you for listening and to our story and your understanding and any help you can provide to our community is just so welcome and so appreciated. And if they want to get in touch with you again, where do they do that? My website is milestonesformaxwell.org and you can sign up for the blog to follow our progress. And you can also make a donation directly. Fantastic. And I ask anyone who's got the means to do it to contribute to these two groups, CureGPX4.org and MilestonesForMaxwell.org. Um, you could change two little boys' lives greatly. Thank you. Raising Rare is produced by Salem Oaks, empowering patients and caregivers to shape the future of medicine. CureGPX4.org is dedicated to finding a treatment and cure for SSMD. You can donate to CureGPX4 on the Raising Rare podcast page or at CureGPX4.org. You can continue to follow Raga's story next time on Raising Rare. <laughs>